Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Rusty, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And hey, welcome to spring. Rumor has it it happened <laughs> happened this week. Uh, maybe hard to tell. Not 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 the greatest of weather here in Wisconsin. But again, you didn't come here for the weather. You came here to hear from Dr. Robert Craig, our Executive Director, who is also with us this morning. Robert, good to have you. I feel hopeful in this transitional weather. It's clearly not deep winter, but you know this is going to be a process, and we'll have more and more good spring days, and then it'll revert, and that'll pro- can go all the way to May first or later. Well, the connection for me, Robert, is uh, as someone who's been doing doors, I find it a little bit better to canvas in the upper twenties when it's snowing than like upper 30s, low 40s and drizzly and wet. It's um, it's actually more challenging than than the 20s. But hey, again, folks, you didn't come here for the weather. Uh, you did come here for politics. And I am going to say, if you have not volunteered yet in this election, talking to voters, you need to. Um, we have talked incessantly about the shit show that is this election as it relates to the ads. We'll, we'll get Robert's uh, comments on that. Um, just a quick update. But the 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 one deodorant for all this is talking to voters. The conversations are excellent. We're having dozens of people on on Monday evenings at 5 p.m., Saturday mornings at 9 a.m., two excellent times. We're finding lots of folks wanting to talk. Of course, not everybody wants to, but it doesn't matter. There are lots of people do. We have both conversations with folks who don't have a ton of information. We have some folks who are undecided. We're moving a few people, but we're mostly talking to a lot of progressive folks who we need to make sure get out and also know more about our movement, know more about citizen action. People, we need your involvement. It's the deodorant for the just the trash that's on TV and, and just what's become of this Supreme Court election. Robert, I just before we dive into the national and the state issues, just any thoughts you have this week? There was obviously a debate that I'm sure just about nobody saw. And you know what? Good, because it sounds like it was garbage. Robert, your update? Yeah, it was at a time that no one could watch it. And it was garbage. And it was unjudicial. And I'm not sure what's gained on either side by you know, personal recriminations against the other. I mean, yeah, even, even uh, look, I, I think Dan Kelly is an awful man based on his record, okay? I think they question what he's done and his hypocrisy. Uh, but I just don't see there's much value in a Supreme Court race in saying that uh, on Judge Janet's part. Just, you know, talk about what's wrong with his alleged judicial, judicial philosophy and his complete hypocrisy concerning, you know, she's biased because she named her values. When my man, this man, hey, went to Pat Robertson's law school and has a clear record on all of these things and worked for the Republican Party on the fake electors, I mean, and horrible abortion views, LGBT views, everything, all public. And then he would trust him that he's the independent arbiter of the law and she and she isn't. It's absurd. So, but Fortunately, as you said, Matt, no one watched it. Yeah. And and Robert, I will say, I, you know, we talked a lot about the ads. 
I have been heartened this week. I have seen a lot of Janet ads that are straight up on abortion, straight up talking about real issues, talking about her values, the stuff we have been begging candidates to do. To her credit, Janet's been fantastic in being clear about who her values are. And I think she's been the best candidate we've ever had on that level of clarity. Um, it's just the unfortunate thing is, as we know, it's the ads that are generally set the debate. And the ads have just been noxious. But Robert, we have a lot of things to talk about. Um, I'm going to give you a chance before we go if there's anything else you want to say. But all I want to leave it at, since there's a ton of other really cool issues we got to talk about, is please, folks, volunteer. We're at that stage. The ballots are out. You can go vote early now. Go figure that out at your local municipality. A lot of places have extra early voting locations if you're in a big city like Milwaukee or Madison. But get out, vote early, and volunteer. We have people going out on doors every Saturday. We'll be out on the GOTV weekends. We're phone banking again, Monday, Saturdays. You need to get involved. We'll have full programs the final four days. Uh, democracy is a participatory sport. That is our main Supreme Court message this week. We need your involvement more than ever right now. Robert, any final words before we go on to both national and uh, state issues? I'll just agree with you. Abortion's a real issue. Here's why. Right-wing judges are the ones who took away a fundamental right. And right-wing judges in this state, as Janet Perse, which does rightly say, will rule to keep it in place and rule for the 1849 law, period. And so I don't think there's any question, and certainly Kelly will. I mean, if you if you want to, if there's some of you moderates who say, well, Hagedorn, I go, okay, I'll give you 20% odds on Hagedorn, but the rest I'll give you 0% odds. Yeah, and, and Robert, as you pointed out before, he has a history and has uh, on this, you know, connect not only to the Republican Party, but the far right aspects of it. The gentleman he met with on Tuesday night, we won't get into it, uh, awful human being who called for like killing abortion providers. It's just, it's very clear, folks. It is the dominant issue. Please make sure everybody knows about it. I can tell you on the phones and on the doors, I hear about it all the time. And sometimes I hear about it from folks who don't know who they're going to vote for. This week had a gentleman from Cudahy. He was all talking crime shit with me. <laughs> and after about 10 minutes, I just said, so like, what do you, you know, what do you really care about? Like, what's your, what are you most worried about right now? And he said, I'm worried that abortion access has been taken away to women. And I was like, well, okay. So anyways, folks, please talk to your neighbors about this. Robert, you have something else. Yeah, just I'm remembering as, as you lay this out, Matt, that Judge Kelly attacked Hagedorn, said he was a terrible appointment and that he's betrayed conservatives. So what else do you need to know? Hagedorn occasionally splits, um, but yeah, I mean, very occasionally and did do the did go with the with the horrendous maps that made that made us not a democracy in the state. All right, folks, we talk about issues on the phones and on the doors. Please get involved. Robert, I want to switch to some national issues, even though, of course, our Supreme Court has national implications. <laughs> uh, but I want to, you want to talk a little bit about what, what you're calling economic double talk. And we have talked a bit about this, but I want to give you an opportunity to talk about this. And, and particularly, it, it relates to the banks and what, what we have been in a conversation both with Dr. Rosen about the Fed, the banking institutions. Robert, the floor is yours on this uh, this topic. 
there's a number of layers of this hypocrisy and do not believe even what odds on liberal media on the economy is highly the business view of economics and a lot of the economics profession is completely co-opted i'm just saying as as a fellow academic another discipline not every fortunately we have some on our side but my goodness milton friedman give him nobel prize and the manton ideologue without even an empirical basis for his ideology in fact his answer to people don't really make rational decisions in a, in a marketplace well he agrees it's true but for some reason the model produces the true results okay what more do you need to know but anyway here's what we got right now we got the fed raising rates we've talked about that a lot matt and i and uh Dr. Rose. They did it yesterday again robert they did it again, but they probably were going to do it half a percent and they did it quarter percent because they're afraid of making more banks fail because we deregulate the banks and they're taking risks on interest rate and they're losing on the risks. OK, Robert, and, they should. And, and they received. Well, no, they're, they're not because we bailed them out. But and they so should the Fed should be worried. Right? We bailed we bailed them out, Matt. No, I'm saying the Fed should be worried that if it went up a half or kept going up at this rate, they helped produce this. And they're they're doing this only on the know, back of the bank. But they didn't, they don't care. Unemployment's fine. Bank hurting banks and hurting and causing very wealthy people to who have more, much more money in a bank uh than uh, than the insured rate uh to lose money is important to them. Remember, in, tw in 2008, 2009, a Democratic administration bailed out the banks and not the people who were their victims. And this, the unemployed and the lack of regard for them versus the banks. And there's been this all talk about how they can't raise interest anymore because they'll cause bank failures, which you didn't hear about unemployment. That's supposed to be just baked in and acceptable. And remember, the banks are now also arguing the Fed should just say that all deposits are insured, even if they're over the federal limit, okay? Think about the difference between that and their reaction to to get to a forgiving 10,000 in student loan debt. And by the way, a lot of these, these folks all had a lot more than $10,000 over the, uh, the ultra-rich and the Silicon Valley Bank over uh, the insured limit. And you'll see the hypocrisy that we should bail out wealthy people when they take risk. And that if when you are, are be told that to have a successful life, you need to go to college. And then we took all the money away to make it affordable. And then you you load up huge debt and leave less opportunity because of the way they run the economy. And therefore, you don't make enough in order to pay it back. And you get and it and it's a weight on your whole life. Then you're a moocher. Yeah, no, look, Robert, this is why we're having Dr. Rosen on almost every week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're trying to have him on once a month. Uh, but there's been so much to so much to talk about with what the Fed's been up to, and and look, the biggest problem here, right, Robert, as you pointed out, in addition to this double speak, is they don't really care about what should be one of their primary charges, and that's the employment of regular Americans, right? Because at the end of the day, if you, what is the true public interest right here? Is it the banks? Is it you know, the wealthy folk, like it, it's average, regular Americans, all of us, are we employed? Are we in a healthy state? And like, I wish employment didn't have to matter so much, but it does in this current economy. 
and they don't seem to care about that. And that's that's sad. With that, folks, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin, where citizen action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Robert, you had one more thing you wanted to say as it relates to this economic double talk in the Fed. Well, I'm just saying you you put your finger on it, Matt. The goal is not serving all of us. And we need to strip off the, 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 the fakery, the ideological blinders that they have put on us and understand that it's about them. It's about the ultra rich. It's about the people who run banks and make money from banks. It is not about the rest of us. And we hear drivel on all media, even the New York Times, Washington Post, quote unquote, liberal media, just reinforcing this economic frame. Okay. And in Wisconsin, we have this situation where business leaders who are totally self-interested and have run our economy in the ground from the standpoint of the number of quality jobs we had 50 years ago versus today, deindustrialization, globalization, unaccountable subsidies and corporate uh, uh, corporate subsidies like Foxconn and many smaller ones you haven't heard of. And this is presented, Milwaukee Journal said in other papers, as important economic thinkers, the head of the of the Milwaukee area metropolitan area, you know, area association of commerce says with no accountability, they should, they're not experts at all. They're experts in raiding the money, taking it for themselves and leaving everyone else behind. So Robert, I'd like to transition. It's not really anything of a transition from the topic. It's this, it's a different group of bandits in our economy and um, it's called the drug industry. Um, some amazing theater this week in Washington around um, the outrageous effort by Moderna, by the way, Moderna, please, Moderna to try to charge $130 for their vaccine that, of course, you know, is critically to life-saving to dealing with the pandemic, created in partnership, let's be honest, largely because of the federal government. Robert, they, this t- tell our listeners more about what played out. Also, Senator Tammy Baldwin's prominent role in helping expose this, the absurdity, and again, the shall we say, the, the corporate swindlers who are trying to run our economy. Robert? So this is very thematically similar to what we just talked about on the economy, who would create a system? What representative democracy and people who are allegedly elected and representing people would create a situation where we pay for the drug and they can charge anything they want? And Wall Street can force them to do it because remember, Wall Street's the one demanding huge returns and increases in stocks, buying of stock options, everything else, because that's how they make their money, okay? So it's CEOs who at Pharma, who buck this would pro- would would be fired. In fact, the CEO of Moderna, who is testifying, and I uh, get to Tammy Baldwin and the role she played, um, he got a negative job evaluation for not maximizing enough profit a few months back. And then they go and they price gouge because we let them do it because we give them a legal monopoly. And it's not just the fact that we paid most of the money for developing this thing uh, that 
the drug was paid for by the public with huge amounts, the existence of these drug companies, the profits and capital they have, everything we've set up as far as the infrastructure to have a, a workforce to do this and have and to train all the folks who are the scientists who are working and developing grants in the pharma level, it's all us. Think of Elizabeth Warren. You didn't build that, okay? Now, the only reason we do this is because we don't have a real representative democracy, and there are Democrats who are difficult on this, and there are former Democrats like Kristen Sinema that stood in the way of fundamentally changing our laws, and the Republicans yeah. are the ones that prevented us from dealing with anything beyond Medicare, and they would have stopped Medicare as well if you couldn't do it through budget reconciliation. That was the parliamentarian's call as to where you could regulate position drugs through budget reconciliation and didn't need 60 votes and where you couldn't. And Tammy Baldwin, who is up for re-election and will likely face that China bashing hero, Mike Gallagher, she took on the CEO and actually charged him with being selfish and being worried about his job and his stock options and not about the incredible damage that will be done. And let's see if the chi great China basher, if he is the opponent against Tammy Baldwin, is going to be for serious drug reform or not. I bet you he's not. And I bet you Tammy is going to be sharper than a lot of Democrats and lean in on that. Well, I'd like to pick up on that because there's two important strands that you touched on that I want to <laughs> hit with the Matt Brusky hammer. Uh, look. Uh, the is it Mr. Bansell, the the CEO? Um, you know what? He's right. He basically says, "Look, uh, this compares with the flu shot." What he did is he basically said, "Look, we're doing what we always do, what the system says we should do. I'm not doing anything different. You mfers just dragged me in here because it's COVID, and because you can get a pound of political flesh. You're not going to do anything about this." You're not actually going to change any of this. You're just going to yell at me. You're going to get your political theater, but you're split. You're not going to get anything through this Congress. And by the way, when you had Democrats, you lecturing me, when you had control, you didn't do anything to change this. So it's nice theater. And I'm with Tammy and she's 100% right for exposing it. But here's what I would like to suggest, Robert. I think we work with Tammy to help make this actually a defining issue. There needs to be legislation that actually goes and, and, and pulls back systemically what this is exposing. And that is what you said. This is a government, largely a government enterprise, as well it should be. It's one of the most fundamental public priorities. The basic health of the the whole not only our country but the world we're what we're involved in here that's the public interest not their profits we need to consider massively repub making this public and robert there was bipartisan bashing for this right this that this was outrageous well you know what they're right if it's outrageous for covid it's outrageous for the flu it's outrageous for sickle cell, it's outrageous. You name it's outrageous. And we need to change the system, not just drag this CEO who's just doing his job, which by the way, Robert, you actually pointed out is profiteering, <laughs> which is his job is to make fucking profits. Let's be honest. So, anyways, uh, I think this is a great topic. It laid great 
in the previous conversation, and it gets to the fundamental jackals in everything, including the Supreme Court race. It is the concentration of wealth, extraordinarily powerful interests in this country, largely connected to the global corporate regime. Robert. Yeah. And you put your finger on it, Matt. There are some things that should not be subjected to predatory capitalism. Okay. If we're going to have price gouging on yachts, on 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 mink coats, uh, even on luxury foods like caviar, fine, right? Because that's not a necessity. But we allow it in healthcare. It's not just pharma. It's the whole cost of healthcare. And we allow profiteering to literally risk future civilization as far as the fossil fuel economy, the, the big utilities and the big fossil fuel companies are using their power to, to, to not only subject our generation to, but future generations. I don't know what their future generations are going to do when the planet's, uh, you know, uh, not only much harder to inhabit and will cause a die-off, but a lot harder to make big profits or have a good life, even if your folks will be more privileged because they have intergenerational wealth. So the point is, we draw no bar boundaries. We've allowed you know, cutthroat capitalism to take over everything. And there are some things where it should be, just luxury discretionary goods. But on basic necessities, it's deeply immoral and it it speaks to the immorality of this society until we can build the popular push to uh, to fix it. And we have to repair democracy. This is it. it. This is that moment, Robert. This this issue's it. We need we need to work with Tammy on drafting something that is systemic. It's the vision for what we ought to be talking about going into 2024, and then win the election and implement it. And it'll be wildly popular. And it'll help Tammy not only win the election, we'll actually accomplish something that is a huge public priority if we could increase the public in in the way we provide drugs. And it helps us have a broader conversation about why we need Medicare for all, why we need a functionally different healthcare system. With that, folks, we got to take a break. And we'll be right back. Again, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin or Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, 300,000 people will be kicked off of Badger Care as this uh, COVID public health emergency ends, right? Kind of arbitrary, although I think everyone understands there's a deep desire <laughs> to try to move beyond. But this has a just a devastating public health impact because of the emergency ending and what was implemented during the emergency that gave folks access to healthcare, Robert. Tell us more about the situation with Badger Care. Well, you could ask yourself, um, how could this be happening? It's happening because politically, so this really does amount to the public in many ways, uh, being fed up with COVID and therefore, you know, demanding we just don't do it anymore. And of course, all of the other uh, necessities that are found when we actually help, you know, people who need help versus people who don't need it, but they have no insatiable desires for more of the ultra wealthy. Um, 
the, we had a lot more people on the, on Medicaid programs, the state federal partnership program, Badger in Wisconsin, because we relaxed the ridiculous rules on re-enrollment and all the hoops we made people go through that are designed to make sure that they don't have health care, which of course is the reverse of what we should be doing. And so this all expires April 1st. So all of a sudden, you have to go through burdensome re-enrollment, which is anyone who's gone through these programs, unemployment insurance, anything else, they're written by people who think that everyone is trying to use them as mooching rather than understanding that no one really does this unless they have to, right? And in fact, all Americans uh, would rather do it on their own without without being in a government program. We just, because of the way the, the, the powerful people have shaped the economy, that's not open to them. And so what's going to happen is 300,000 people, and by the way, non, not having badge care expansion makes it worse because there are more people in, in the hole where they won't what they won't meet the standard. In other words, even if they do go through the enrollment process and they'll be over the 100% of the federal poverty level limit. Um, and so uh, at least we have a Democrat administration, the Evers administration underfunded is going to try to, to find everyone. And there is a good budget item that hasn't got enough attention that Governor Evers put in. I would have put more stuff in to re-enroll people, but he did some good stuff and we need to, to commend him for it. This would allow people to automatically just check a box on their state income tax and then have the state automatically assess whether they're batch care eligible or not, which is exactly the kind of thing we need to do. It's why we need automatic voting registration. We have the information on these people. We do not need to make them go through hoops. And we don't need them to get no notification because they're housing insecure and they've moved a couple of times. We don't know where they are, which is what happens with very, uh, you know, hey, Robert, people, if, populations that are economically insecure. You know, what would lay bare this? Uh, I'm glad the governor put that in and we should be thinking about how we can be supporting that. And folks, you could reach out to your state legislators and let them know that this is a common sense thing. And especially if they're a Republican and they tell you no, they think that people should do this. Let them know you're interested in them authoring a bill where they need to re-up their insurance on a regular basis in order to qualify. I'm sure they wouldn't support that legislation for themselves. It's absurd. And it's, look, this is like a number of other systems, COVID laid bare, that they're really set up to exclude people as, you know what, as regular normal people, <laughs> to use the Republican and unfortunately too many others terms, got hung up in it. Suddenly people cared about it, but the systems were deliberately set up there and they talked about them like, oh my God, they're not functioning. You can't get help. There's no one on the lines. You got to go through this <laughs> obtuse, long online system. You know what? It was set up that way, folks. And so, like, this is yet another area where Democrats, and thank you, Evers, we should be constantly pushing things that essentially we did during COVID that made sense. We should keep them because they help people. And again, that should be the public policy concern trying to help make sure folks who need access to healthcare have it. Not trying to exclude people. Robert, I also want to get your comments this week on uh, con Congressman Stiles. I just, while we're still talking DC here, Trump, Trump's, Trump had this whole crazy sideshow, right? That he was going to be 
uh, arrested on Tuesday, <laughs> indicted on Tuesday. Well, it's Thursday morning. That still hasn't happened. But Brian Stiles signed on to an outrageous letter uh, to the New York DA. Robert, tell us more. And why is Brian Stiles in love with Donald oh, no, Trump? He, he, he... Yeah, he he didn't just sign on to this letter. Um, he, I believe, he is the author of the letter. Um, but you may be right. No, he's one of one of the several signatories. I take you are right. I'm wrong. I take it back. So, um, remember who Brian Style is. This is a disciple of Paul Ryan. He is uh, so he he ran his dad. He worked for Paul Ryan. He's trying to be this other lane, these sensible non-MAGA conservatives, right? But And he is also now in, and shame on us for not having good candidates, the most competitive uh, congressional district by the numbers that uh, the Republicans hold in Wisconsin, much more than the third CD uh, congressional district that we should also focus on. We actually have two, and, but we didn't have a strong, well-resourced candidate last cycle, and here he is, though, Mister. I'm not a MAGA. I'm a common sense guy, Republican, like like the wonder, like the quote unquote wonderful Paul Ryan. Um, here, by the way, Paul Ryan's on the board of Fox News and has not resigned after what they did and what's been exposed in the uh, in the uh, Dominion voting machine case. So just to call out the Paul Ryan myth is a myth. But here's Brian Stiles signing on to aggressive letter that says. That the New York DA is 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 in, in, involved in a witch hunt, and that you should never prosecute a former president. Well, what are we going to do when we have criminal former presidents? Because a party enabled it and allowed it, and still supports it just for their own power or uh, objectives. So it just this is a bigger problem than Trumpism. Now Brian Style is a Trumpist. Okay, so there is no other side there is no non-maga reasonable side that to be negotiated with here and we need to defeat this guy and we need to point this out i loved this story this week it made me smile because brian styles has tried to walk that line and this just was like a big wet love kiss to mr trump and it's absurd and it demonstrates people there's a lot of talk nationally, and it's mostly coming from old school Republicans about how Trump is receding and they like to show polling that he's not as popular as he was two years ago. It's like, oh, really? Well, not surprising. You know what? He's still really popular. And this is a demonstration of that. Brian Stile thought he could write this letter, get it out there, that it would be, you know, not, not enough news that would get him officially as something different. But it was a big wet kiss. He knew Donald Trump would see this letter and his acolytes. And that's what makes it disgusting. But it also, folks, just let just reminds you this is still the party of Trump. And he is still the favorite. And Ron DeSantis, oh, he didn't have a good week. By the way, and, and it just gets much more challenging for him, uh, I think after this week, by the way, who tried to wet kiss Trump. And I don't think that's going to work. I, that was a fatal move. Robert, you had one more thing. I, I was just going to say, I, I checked the letter just to make sure I convey. Matt's right. It's not just Styles, but it's only three people. And the two signatures are top are Jim Jordan. For those of you who follow oh. the cables, know who that is. Brian Styles, and then another committee chair, 
named uh, James Comer, who also is in the Jim Jordan lane. So he's there with those three people. Uh, By the just way, to be clear, and his his signature, his big blue signature, right next to Jim Jordan's big blue signature. Jim Jordan should be disqualified from being in Congress by the way he engaged Anthony Fauci and just, it was like, what a jerk, like just totally awful human being, even if he thought disagreed with Fauci. Unbelievable. There is a great PBS documentary that was on this week about Anthony Fauci and they had just extensive clips of Jim Jordan and, um, Mr. Libertarian from Kentucky, uh, what's his name, Robert? Uh, escapes me. Rand Paul, or is the son Rand of Rand Paul, yes. alleged oh. do- a COVID nine doctor. Some doctor. oh my god, it was just powerful. But anyways, we should move on. Um, Robert, I want to give you just the floor a little bit before we move to state issues on um, a China update. We're constantly talking about China, and um, shout out to Mark Procan this week for being, uh, I don't know, maybe the only one in our state who seems to be standing up to the TikTok craziness that is somehow trying to suggest TikTok is awful and these other social media. There's no risk. Don't worry about Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Robert, what's going on? Your, your, Your China Minute. We'll have more next week, but a lot's happening today. Uh, the CEO of of TikTok is appearing before a House committee, which is the big thing on cable, top of the hour, every hour. And so we have all of the preening around and China bashing. And I heard uh, Senator Bennett from Colorado, a moderate, sounding like some cold warrior that says we need to root all the commies out um, on China and saying that we need to uh, ban TikTok and give Biden the authority. And so, the, 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 and he talked about we need to get to actually helping people and creating jobs. And we will not do any of those things. If we get into a deep cold war with China, we will further double the already bloated Pentagon budget uh, to do that. And we'll create no safety and we'll risk Armageddon. So we just got to stop. But he says it's bipartisan. He's right. Just to tell everyone this is a bipartisan problem. Did he really tie TikTok to helping people economically? That's appalling. They're not even remotely related. It's just, oh, anyways. Apparently it's distracting us from doing all the great work this Congress would be doing. Look, people, this is this is crazy. Um, the real threat, and I mention this every time we discuss this, that have happened have been largely through Facebook, where they've destabilized governments around the world, and they've been a part of helping and enabling mass killings and all kinds of things that, again, I hate to bring this up, is the real public interest here, not some perceived threat that China might take all this data and suddenly, I don't know, turn you into a communist? (laughs) start robbing your bank accounts like and we will apparently we won't be able to stop that that would be the real problem not TikTok. like, like they can't hack not it TikTok. they can hack it from corporate america anyway with with us giving their data belonging to big corporations it's not safe anyway and china or russia can hack it and get it they have a lot of most of our data already from their damn credit agencies and other big corporations 
you don't think they have ways of getting access to our data through Facebook and all these other, like, please, come on, just, all right, anyways, we're going to move on because we got to go. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. This is Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Robert, we're going to do a quick bounce around on some state level stuff. All I can say is the legislature is appalling. They're doing terrible things that, like, quite frankly, they mostly don't run on other than uh, stuff that they might tell their base, their their gross base. Um, so they've done terrible things this week as it relates to the trans community, LGBTQ community, all kinds of things that will have negative impacts. We won't get into the disproportionate way that probably their um, uh, their, their, their speeding bill is going to be enforced, a whole bunch of things. But I wanted to start, Robert, with um, we talked not enough probably about all the money left on the table uh, by the stupidity of the state to not fully legalize cannabis. And um, last week after we recorded our show, the state of Illinois released uh, a number I have been wondering about uh, because I'll admit it, I have been to Mundelein and I can tell you that parking lot is filled with Wisconsin license plates. And I have regular conversations with Wisconsinites of both parties who cannot understand why they have to drive to Mundelein for something that should be their legal freedom in Wisconsin, and the state ought to be capitalizing on it. And by the way, Robert, that number is $36.1 million. And by the way, that's just Illinois people. Michigan's also legal, so we know we're losing money there. Um, And this doesn't count all the trickle-over money, right? I've purchased gas in Illinois once when I traveled down there. I bought myself a Coca-Cola and paid a probably an outrageous amount of sales tax. Robert, this is so stupid, but the state continues to do this. And we need to make this a bigger issue. I really hope uh, the governor can pound on them on this because this is a bipartisan issue. Everybody, this is this is not a, a partisan uh, thing. Robert. Well, here's where I think we're dropping balls. The governor should talk more about this too with his bully pulpit. We need to be talking about things that are impactful like this. And this is more of their tough on crime, legal elite, making something illegal doesn't need to be illegal and causing a lot of prim- criminalization and all the re- repercussions of that that's unnecessary and ridiculous because people can just drive across the state borders. And in, th- in three, three of our state borders, um, we can just go get marijuana right now. And it needs to be brought up also because it's it's a voting issue. And here's the thing, there might be fairer maps based on how this, if we can pull out the Supreme Court race, despite the muck, and despite all of the doubts about how the campaign is being run on our side. And so they have to fear that. And so it needs to be leaned into both because it's important and because it's something that is already considered important by voters and something that's cross-cutting, that rural folks uh, both would benefit from it being legalized. And there are a lot of folks there who would like to uh, safely use this recreational drug. So folks, anyways, just more state legislative stupidity. But Robert, I wanted to give you a time to quickly run through a few other things I briefly mentioned. Um the uh, the GOP being up to a number of things and give you an opportunity to talk about the reckless driving bill, 
the requiring cops in schools, which is just another classic tone deaf thing where they're just overriding locales ability to make decisions for themselves. But Robert, your thoughts on that and also new drug felonies uh, around overdose victims. That's a, what a horribly wrong-sided, thoughtless, garbage piece of legislation. Robert, educate our listeners. Yeah. And one problem is, is that word has it, the governor may sign some of these. So this is the same as the Judge Janet problem of of our own side, friendly fire on this. And so we have this rash of tough on crime bills, which do not make us safer. They're just about beating our chest and trying to show the other side is weak, kind of like China bashing. And so think about it, the symbolic value and the testosterone involved and the lack of any attention to actual facts or evidence. So new felony on, on drugs where it's now going to be a felony to pass the drug if there's an overdose. So if there's people having a party and someone else bought it and hands it to you, if you're sitting in the living room together, now they can be a felon. And here's the, the here's the really scary thing. They are not protected by Good Samaritan laws. So if someone they know starts ODing, they have to worry about being charged with a felony if they call for help. Okay, call authorities. Is there any evidence this would make us safer? No, it just makes us feel safer. This is not public, but I'm told by a couple st key state senators that Governor Evers is inclined to, to sign this one. Um, second one is the which he I think he will veto, as far as I know, is requiring cops in schools. It does not work. In fact, we should probably discuss deeper, maybe get the author. Um, a writer in these times did an article on Des Moines School District and its use, effective use of restorative justice, which is a real article which deals with the challenges and the problems with it, but how much better it is. So it's not just a, oh, this is always better, which we can be a little bit about on the left with some reforms. It's gotten national awards and it's influenced legislation and everything else, this article. So maybe I'll, since I'm on the board of that magazine, see if we can get the uh, the, the journalist who wrote it. But that's the point, that it's easy to do this. And the Texas uh, mass shooting certainly showed that having school resource officers doesn't make you safer. In fact, that made us less safe, given the, you know, the, the, the level of law enforcement that was in that school. Uh, and then we have a tough on crime reckless driving bill, which the Republicans promised they'll go back for more. This increased the fines dramatically, but uh, now they'll do something draconian. This one, Governor Evers has signaled on television that he will sign. There is no evidence that making the fine higher does anything other than, than, uh, than when you're dealing with low-income people, give them another unaffordable fine that makes them more economically insecure right? And it happens to the teenage kid and you're in a family that's having trouble making rent. And furthermore, it's very clear that if you change the streets, if you make them balanced between bikes, between mass transit and between cars, that you can contain reckless driving. It's because we have prioritized a fossil fuel economy where how fast you can go is the only priority. And so it's very clear. Uh, kudos to Supreme Moore McCunday, the state rep, uh, for speaking out on this and being in the Journal Sentinel article. So there is a voice of wisdom and conscience on this. And others need to join him and other Democrats need to not vote for this. And Governor Reavers certainly needs to veto it. And so that's, you know, this is going to go on and on. 
And by the way, it, there's not going to be an end to it because they're going to need more cross on time measures every session, every election cycle. It's not really about solving anything. It's about, they, in fact, they uh, they will perpetually claim that there's a crisis and perpetually do more of this because it's good politics for them because they want power. Yeah, the, the the reckless driving bills, it's pernicious because it's really hard to intuitively just off the top when you don't think it through, be against it, especially given that the issues are real, right? Like if you go out and talk to people, they talk a lot about it. And as someone who lives in Milwaukee, I know it's real here. Uh, and it, it it is a weird, it is an oddly growing phenomenon. Um, but Robert, I like what you said. We need to like come up with solutions that don't, that help us engineer ourselves out of it. And by the way, like it, it will take a while, right? To do what we're, Robert was talking about complete streets, this idea that you would have streets that do more than just think about how we move cars quickly and actually think about how we move people safely and create, use the streets to create the kind of communities and neighborhoods we want. And by the way, that may include some streets that don't have any cars, some that even have just one lane each direction and, you know, uh, all sorts of different things to slow people down. And I think cities ought to be thinking a lot about that and think about, we've created raceways in our cities. It we've created, we have highways that run through our cities and then we wonder why people drive fast. Capital is a highway, right? Like these are, ah. yes, Robert. It doesn't have to take a long time. We have a record state surplus. And we could raise a couple more billion by legalizing marijuana and by accepting the Badger Care money. Okay, and you and by the way, it reduces greenhouse emissions dramatically if you do that, and it saves lives. And all the costs of the accidents, the cost of investigation, the, the medical bills. Just even if someone is not killed, think about all of that. There's a huge cost to this, and we need to do it for the climate crisis. And it will make our cities more livable and more people will move into them because who wants to live on a raceway like Fond du Lac Avenue in Milwaukee, for example? I'll name one of the residential street raceways. Well, look, people, we just have to decide that our cities and our neighborhoods are their primary purpose. Again, the public priority should not be moving cars fast, right? We can do both. We can get people safely to more thorough interstates and other areas to move people, but there's no reason in the city people should be have to be driving at super fast speeds. Folks, Robert, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk just a little bit more about, look, I think this, this idea about cops in schools, I just, there's been such good work by students and administrators in certain school districts listening to each other talking to each other, learning from each other about how do you create schools that both prioritize safety, but also creating an environment that can allow people to, to be educated and not feel like a police state, right? And not immediately be stigmatized. Yes, this is complicated. I am not suggesting it's easy. It's hard when you have to regularly have times where you might be needing police to come. But it's a completely different game when you just station them there and they're physically in the building. And again, allow 
local school districts to make this decision for themselves. Different districts, people may feel differently in different parts of the state. I may not like their decisions if they want to have, but like allow them to make those decisions anyways. And, 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 make, and make it evidence-based. Yes. In Des Moines, there were kids who were going to drop out, falling out, who when they did a good, well-resourced restorative justice program, were brought back in and have been successful and have gone on to college. So it really harms lives just to have un, untrained to deal with kids, people with guns in schools. It doesn't make them safer. And well, just Rivaldi, it made them no safer at all. In fact, they were, they were the problem when there really was a, a safety crisis. A mass here's, the tr- here's the truth, right? If you put cops in the school, it's a one-way form of like safety in, in, in a certain way. We're going to bring safety to you. Whereas restorative justice is actually a process of learning and education for kids where they learn about how to deal with this, right? Because you're going cons- you, to have conflict. Uh, where there needs to be a process. And it so it engages also the kids in that restorative process, which is important, especially as kids are learning how to be good public citizens. And maybe for us to evolve in how we think about what makes us safe. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We have to wrap this up. We'll see you next week at The Battleground Wisconsin. <laughs>